0: Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? That is easy. Hello, John. It's nice to see you, Z. Great. It's great to be with you again. Great to be able to speak on this uh, sermon subject of, the, of Jonah, the life of Jonah, the story of Jonah. And Jonah, for I would say, for churched people and non-churched alike, everyone have heard this story of the story of Jonah, right? Um, so Jonah, for example, I would say Jonah is up there with... Uh, let me think, Jesus rising from the dead, crucified and rising from the dead, i say the story of David and Goliath, another Bible classic, uh, Adam and Eve, another Bible classic, you can't miss that one, right at the front, even if you read nothing else, you hear about Adam and Eve. Well, Jonah, I would put is a story on that sort of level, it's one of those stories that everyone has heard of. I, was, I wanted to check the authenticity of that statement, so I, um, I was chatting with a friend who I work with couple of days a week and I said tell me what you know about the story of Jonah and he said uh yeah sure uh I, no, this friend of mine has no background with church at all whatsoever never been to church has no interest in going yet and uh, and he said to me uh yeah Jonah's Jonah's the guy who gets eaten by a fish and doesn't die I'm like yeah there we go there you go he summed up the story of Jonah I want to put to us this morning that it's so much more than that but actually I want to start by saying actually as well My friend said to me, I have a problem with that story because it just seems ridiculous that a man should get eaten by a fish, spend three days in the belly of the fish and then be thrown up alive again. I have a problem with that. I said, well, that's interesting. I, I can see why you'd have a problem with that. I don't, personally. But I also, I don't have a problem with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Like, both stories are equally unlikely, aren't they? From, from the way we look at the world and the physical world around us, someone raising from a dead seems ridiculous. But I believe that. I believe that there is evidence, historical evidence to support that case. And, and likewise, Jonah is a ridiculous story about a man who spends three days in the stomach of a whale and comes back out alive. Well, I believe that because Jesus believed that. And I believe that the God who rose or raised Jesus up from the dead is able to keep a man alive in the stomach of a whale. All right, so I just want to uh, start by saying that strange story, crazy story, but I believe it, and I want us as a church to, yeah, we hold fast, and there are many parallels that I think we can draw between this story and our own lives, which we'll get into in a moment, but Jonah, for those of you who were away last week, we started our series last week, Jonah was a man who who, uh, was considered a prophet. He was a man who God chose to speak through. So in the days before Jesus came to earth and before Jesus was alive, God would speak to his people. God would speak to his church, as it were, or the congregation of Israel, the family of Israel. He would do that by prophets. He would, he would bring, raise someone up and speak to that person. That person would then translate what God is saying, what God's heart was for a particular thing. And Jonah was called, as we saw last week, to go to a town or a city called Nineveh, whose evil, it said, had come up before God. And and God says to Jonah, I want you to go there and tell them that their evil has come before me. Tell them to repent, to say sorry, to do a turnaround from the things that they have been doing, to stop worshipping themselves or stop upholding these false gods, false idols, and turn to me. And Jonah's like, like, no, no thanks. Uh, Find someone else. I'm off. And he goes as far away from God as we saw. I don't know... Jez showed us that map, I don't know if you saw that last week, of, uh, we had Nineveh, which was 500 miles to the northeast of Jonah, of Israel, and then we had Tarshish, which Jonah headed for, was like 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Jonah went out of his way to escape God's presence, and uh, I don't think that's, uh, that's not unheard of in today's, I think, today's society, we... We are trying to escape the reality of there being a God. If there is a God, I want to get as far away from his presence as possible. I don't want God's life or God's plans to infringe upon my plans. That's idolatry. Uh, We are devoting our lives to ourselves. uh, And so I would say that Jonah's story is not too dissimilar from ourselves. God speaks, God gets Jonah. He shipwrecks him, oh, he causes the ship to break up or threaten to break up. And uh, I don't know if you remember, the men say, what should we do? They say to Jonah, why aren't you praying to your God? And Jonah's like, uh, actually, the reason we're in this mess is because of the relationship between me and my God. And they're like, what do we do? And he says, throw me overboard. They're like, really? Nah. And he's like, no, do it, throw me overboard. They throw him overboard, a whale comes and eats him up, and that's where we are today, all right? So we're in chapter two of Jonah. Jonah has just been swallowed, by a whale and this passage that we're going to look at is Jonah's turnaround moment this is the moment where Jonah reorganizes restructures his life he repents is a, a biblical a Christian word for he does a turnaround so we're going to jump into Jonah chapter two now the, the text should come up on the screen but because of our projector situation it's a little smaller can you see it yeah excellent some of you at the back nodding good well we'll take that then I'm going to read it out and see if you can follow along it says this Jonah chapter 2 then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of the sh- out of the belly of sheol I cried I just quick aside there uh, out of the belly of sheol I cried uh, a, a, a helpful interpretation for us this morning. Out of the belly of the grave, I cried. Not my grave, out of the belly of Jonah's grave, he cried. Out of the belly of the grave, I cried, okay? Uh, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. We've heard about steadfast love this morning. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Verse 10, all right. Jonah in the fish has this turnaround moment. But like I said, there are three themes that I wanna draw out from this passage, three parallels that I, I wanna say to us that this is our story. I think you can interchange Jonah's name for your own. I would say as a Christian, this is my story. I was dead. Jonah is as good as dead. He is separated from the land of the living or separated from the rest of humanity. He finds himself in the belly of the fish. He's not dead yet, but surely he will die here. Jonah is as good as dead. Jonah is dead. We are dead. I also say that Jonah needs deliverance, and Jonah is delivered. We see that in that passage. Towards the end of the passage, we find that Jonah is delivered we need delivering from this death, God delivers Jonah, we will see how God delivers us and ultimately Jonah devotes himself to God, beforehand I would say this whole story is a a matter of devotion and beforehand Jonah is devoted to himself, to his own pleasures, to what he wants, to what he wants to achieve, what he wants to see, what he wants to do but Jonah's devotion has changed from the beginning of the story to the or from the beginning of the chapter to the end. And now by the end of the chapter Jonah's devotion is to God. And I want to put to you that that is the Christian life. We are dead in our mess. Dead in our idolatry, dead distance from God, disconnected from God spiritually, not alive. We need deliverance and God offers that. And ultimately, we devote ourselves. So those are the three things we're going to come through to this morning. But I want us to, um, uh, to look at Jonah 2, verse 2. He says this, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of the grave, I cried. So Jonah's situation is bleak. Uh bleak. In verse 6, he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed over me forever. He, the, the visual you're getting is imprisoned, isn't it? He finds himself imprisoned, dead, separated. The language he is using is, uh, is not healthy, it's not good. He finds himself dead, disconnected from God, disconnected from humanity. I don't know if you've ever had that sickening feeling or that, that when, uh, when, you, when you've done something or you've been in a situation or something happens to you or something happens in your life, that you, it doesn't twig at first, but then the reality of it dawns on you or the gravity of the situation hits you. Uh, uh, perhaps you've been through a circumstance where you think, yeah, I can remember that very, very, uh, really clearly. I remember I was in that place and then it suddenly dawned on me, this, oh my goodness, what have I done? I think that's a moment like this for Jonah. Oh my goodness, what have I done? I had a moment like this uh, about uh, about eight years ago. I am the oldest of three brothers. Uh, I have two younger brothers, uh, I have Phil and Mike. Uh, Phil is, he's about, tw- yeah, I think he's 30, he's 30 this week and uh, Mike is, ah, oh, 28, it's irrelevant, you don't need to know his age. Anyway, so they're a couple of years younger than me each, and, um, and we, uh, growing up, always used to stitch Mike up. Mike is the youngest brother, right? And as your older brother, it is key that you boss your little brother and make sure he knows his place, right? Those of you who have brothers, that's what we do. In fact, those of you who have older siblings, that's what you do. You make sure that the youngest one uh, knows his place and does all the things that you don't want to do yourself. Well, we, we we did that growing up, we had a river at the back of our house and we found me and Phil found a great big ladder, a wooden ladder, with rotten rungs. And we wanted to cross the river. We thought this is gonna be great. If we can get to the other side of the river, we can then throw stones at the house. Perfect. Mum and dad will love that. So okay, we're gonna go for it. Uh, hang on, hang on, wait. Before we cross this Mike, Mike, come here, look. You see that you're light and, and really brave. Why don't you see if you can get across this, this river? Mike's like, really? It looks pretty dangerous. <laughs> no, you'll be fine. Come on, Mike, Mike, Mike. Mike goes free, it, falls in the river. Mum and dad comes to the rescue. Uh, not so long ago, we went to, we, my mum and dad lived in Dorset, and um, there was a rope swing, uh, a, a serious rope swing, uh, just down the road from my house, and, uh, and this is a, a favorite memory of mine. In fact, we got it on, on camera as well. Uh, uh, this is a serious rope swing. It, uh, it swings over a gorge, about a 20-foot gorge, 20-foot deep, and it's about a 30-foot of rope so from this side of the gorge to the other and you end up flying out about 30 feet it's enormous best rope swing i've ever seen can you picture it? are you excited about it i'm excited about it, talking about it so we get to this rope swing and uh, we're like well uh mike you're up mike's like what why me because you're the youngest and you're the lightest and if you fall and die uh Mom and dad have still got two more brothers all right okay Go. you won't die you'll be fine Mike okay all right Mike goes for it so Mike goes onto the rope leaps flies across this gorge comes right out the other side 30 feet away swings back in comes in to grab onto the tree as he grabs he misses his handling swings back out to the middle but with one hand uh-oh yes oh, thank you um he as he he cannot sustain himself can't he's not that strong he falls and as he falls he twists and he falls 20 foot to the ground Uh, which my reaction as the oldest brother is what every oldest brother would do at that point, which is to laugh hysterically. Uh, Who wouldn't? Um, Actually, apparently, Abby, who was with me, didn't. She screamed. Uh, Much more appropriate. Mike is lying there in the bottom of this ditch, making... I've never heard a sound like it. He doesn't scream. He doesn't cry. Instead, he's making this really deep groaning sound. And it's at that point that the reality of the situation dawns on me, and Phil, and I suddenly think, oh my goodness, we've just crippled, killed, paralyzed my youngest brother, and the gravity of the situation just comes in on me. don't know if you've had a situation like that, that it just hits you, that sinking feeling, oh, this is what's happened. Now, good news for us today, Mike's alive and well, married and has a child, um, b- and Jonah gets released, but... Jonah must have had that feeling, that sickening feeling, that crushing feeling, that despair. Most interestingly, what he does with his despair, in verse three, he says, you, talking to God, you cast me into the deep. I like to point out that actually it was the sailors, wasn't it? The sailors threw him in. But Jonah is able to look above the situation and see God's hand in it. He recognizes, Jonah recognizes his own Uh, his own disobedience towards God he knows that God had called him to go elsewhere and he's black and white he's refused he finds himself in the belly of the fish and he says actually you put me here you cast me into the deep this is a result of my disobedience and your sovereign hand he recognized that in verse four he says I am driven from your sight Jonah's, like I said, his situation is bleak, but these two verses, you cast me into the deep and I'm driven from your sight, well, that reminds me of a story right at the beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they are, I guess, our representative heads of humanity. The Bible uses them as a picture of humanity. It says humanity is like them. Adam and Eve are our representative heads. And, And Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. See, Adam and Eve, uh, they didn't, black and white, ref- well, they did. They, they, instead, of God said, don't do this. And, and rather than listening to God's authority and God's wisdom, God's loving wisdom, they, they turn in on themselves. Actually, I'm going to turn to creation to satisfy. I believe that actually God doesn't want the best for me. And perhaps Jonah was the same. God doesn't want me, yeah. Uh, God doesn't want the best for me. He wants me to go to Nineveh where they're horrible. Maybe we've done that ourselves. We well, the truth is God cannot have these idolaters, people that turn to themselves in his presence, so he casts them out. God loves Adam and Eve. God loves Jonah. God loves you and I, but he cannot have idolaters, people that turn to themselves instead of him in his presence. And Jonah, in this grave, in this watery grave, with the bars closed in of himself, He's unable to rescue himself. He's imprisoned there. He's at the mercy of the whale. He's at the mercy of ultimately God. And this, this death, this separation from God that we have, it's not something that we can just rescue ourselves out of. No amount of turning to religion and reading this and praying that and attending that seminar. and That's not what saves us. Our good works, they aren't enough and that's the heart of the christian gospel. Jonah is as good as dead. He cannot rescue himself. Dead people are unresponsive. They can't resuscitate themselves. And this is our position in in Ephesians 2 verse 1 it says it says this I think it'll come up on screen it's just a short reading. It says and you were dead in your trespasses in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked Following the course of this world, like Jonah, we've disobeyed God. We, we have, uh, we've devoted ourselves to ourselves, to our own comfort. We've looked, like Adam and Eve, to creation to satisfy rather than God. I still do that today, and I need to continually remind myself, don't look to that to satisfy. There's someone who can ultimately satisfy. There's someone greater there's someone who who can really, in my depths and in the darkness, is able to satisfy and able to bring hope. The Bible says uh, we are as descendants of Adam, as Adam is the head of humanity, or a picture of humanity. We we carry the same traits of his character. We we, t- we are turned inward. We uh, we seek our own pleasure. We seek to delight ourselves in the things around us rather than God. It's much easier to not have God, we think. Like Jonah, I am utterly helpless and I am in need of deliverance. But that's the good news for us this morning, is that Jonah gets rescued and we too can know this deliverance. There is hope for us. Uh, In Jonah 2, verses 6 to 9, again this will come up back on the screen, it says this, At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to God. When nothing, uh, Jonah's comes to the end of himself, hasn't he? He's, he's, uh, there is nothing he can physically do to rescue himself. He's come to the end, I, but that's where God meets him. See, Jonah had an opportunity to, I guess he had an opportunity to repent and turn around when he was in the boat. You know, the storm hits him in the boat and he's fast asleep. Jonah has an opportunity at that point. Wait a minute, this storm is about me. Do you know what, guys? Turn the boat around. We need to sort this situation out. I've run away from God here. But he doesn't. Again, uh, what do we do? Throw me into the sea, you know, further away. All right, okay. Uh, Sure enough, the sea calms and a, a fish swallows him. But God is kind. God allows Jonah. You know, Jonah's in desperation at this point. Uh, God can justifiably say, no, you've made your bed, lie in it. But he doesn't. God is kind. God allows him a second, a third, a fourth chance. You know, and he does the same with you and I. Uh, see, um, my own life is, is not too dissimilar from Jonah's. I, I grew up in a God-fearing family, in a God-loving family. I grew up in a family where my mom and dad loved Jesus, loved God, taught me the gospel regularly, but I, again, I chose not to believe it. I, I, didn't, well, I did believe it, but I didn't want it. I chose to refuse it. I just, no thank you, that's not for me. No thank you, that's not. I went to church every Sunday, I heard the gospel every Sunday. And every Sunday, I thought, uh, I would rather live my own way. I believe God's out there. I'm a little nervous he'll get me. But, uh, and so God just waits. He's patient. He doesn't, he doesn't go, right, well you've made your bedline. It him, destroys him. No, he's patient and kind. And he allows us to turn away again and again and again. And he waits. And he waits patiently. He shows us his love. He shows us his love, his commitment to us. And eventually, Jonah calls on God, and God comes through, God delivers. See, the world promises us many different hopes, many distractions from this death, the, this spiritual separation from God. The world promises that you know, if you have a, a good home, a good family, a good job, a job that pays the bills, a job that you enjoy, you know, just absorb yourself into those things. Uh, don't worry about death and those kind of situations just enjoy what you have in the moment that doesn't fix things down the line when those things good jobs get taken away or when a a close family member dies who do you turn to if you do not have a god what do you do in that situation um, my friend and I, who I work with, we have a situation just recently where a client of ours died. She was very young, she's in her early 50s. And the family is in utter uh, despair. They don't have the hope of a God, they don't have the hope of deliverance. They haven't seen that character that God loves them and wants them. They've refused it, and they're hopeless. And it's so hard to watch. We're not any better. You know, we, we don't, we're not chosen. We don't go around, we shouldn't go around bragging and think, oh, yeah, look at us. We got the hope. No, th- praise God that He is kind enough to offer this deliverance to us. Praise God that He opened our hearts and opened our eyes to us receive that. There's no, no work on our own. This is all God's doing. God delivers. Jonah didn't do anything, Jonah sat there in the belly of a fish suddenly realized the error of his ways and said sorry to God God delivers salvation in verse 9 he says salvation belongs to the Lord that's God's doing but God is fast to do it he loves to save it's it's a delight to him when we turn around and say God I'm sorry I've had my head buried in the sand for so long I just remembered to look up. I feel like by chance, and he says, "I've always been here, ready for you to look up. I was always ready for you." Uh, Interestingly, a bit later on in that Ephesians verse, it says, "You know, God was even God chose us before we were. When we were dead in our sins, in our trespasses, God had already begun His work in saving us. God, God is." is deliberately engaged in your life story. And he's on the front foot. And I think the only response left is devotion. That's Jonah's response. He's, he knows the gravity of his situation, his separation from God. His separation from everything. He sees the bars that have closed in over him. And his response is, well, I'm sorry. And he devotes himself. He devotes himself. And that, for me, is my story. That's our story for us in this room. When we realize, when we get hold of, whoa, where we were, what God has delivered us from, our only right response is to go, wow, uh, thank you. You can have it all. Now, this story has always been about devotion. See, when we were dead... To God and dead in our our mess, dead in our wrongdoing, dead in our idolatry, dead in our worship of false gods, false worship of self, self sufficiency, self help. When we were living in that way, God was always devoted to us. We were we were devoted to other things, and it's as God rescues us, then we can turn around and devote ourselves to him. The story has always been about devotion. It's just to whom we devote ourselves to. And devotion for Jonah is not a difficult choice. It's, 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 it's his only choice, isn't it? He can sit there and just wait to corrode and be consumed by the fish's belly and, and whatever the digestive force and in, tom- in, in that tomb. Or he can turn to God and say, I'm sorry, I just, I give it back. You're in charge. This is where me being in control has got me. It's time for you to have control. Jonah reorders his life. But he does so with thanksgiving. In Jonah 2 verse 9, he says, um, uh, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Sacrifice is to cut off uh, uh, let me see. Uh, sacrifice is to give something up that is valuable for the sake of other considerations. You know, Jonah sacrifices his his own. I uh, I, I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I was afraid of the Ninevans, or I didn't want to be in that situation. Jonah sacrifices his own feelings. Said, if you if you throw him, if I get out of here and you send me back there, I'll go. Jonah is uh, is making a sacrifice. He's saying, but I'll do this with pleasure. This isn't a hard decision for me. I am destined to stay in the belly of this fish. We are destined to stay separated from God until he delivers us. Devoting ourselves to him is no difficulty. That, that, that is a delight. Uh, Jesus... Uh, Requires our devotion. God requires our devotion. You you can't love God half heartedly. You can't devote yourself to God and also devote yourself to something else. You say, I'll have, yeah, I'd go to church on Sundays, love God with all my heart, and then on Tuesdays, I know the guys love to go out drinking, get absolutely rallied, and then go out in a big fight. Like, you can't devote yourself to both things because at some point, At some point, God's plans and your plans will conflict. Jonah, it was Nineveh. Jonah's plans, well, I don't want to go to Nineveh, and God's plans, well, I want you to go to Nineveh. That's where the conflict point was for him. I wonder what it is for us. And though in the past 12 years, we've had, I've had, or actually no, before I became a Christian, I became a Christian when I was 19, but there were many conflict points in that. There were many forks in the road. Do I, do I stay out with, late with my friends, go drinking hard, or do I get involved in the drugs? And a lot of my friends were into drugs. Do I, do I hang out with them, get into all that, and church on a Sunday? What, what am I cutting off? What are we cutting off? What do we drift back to? What are the temptations for us that we drift back to? Is it to put our trust in our financials or ourselves or our families? What do we need to cut off and say, do you know God, you're in charge? God is um, amazingly kind and patient. Like I said, he's the God of the second, third, fourth, a hundred chance. He waits, he loves. And in uh, in verse t- in chapter two, verse eight, it says this, uh, it w- I think we've got the, n- the nas- international version, new international version on the screen. If we can have uh, verse 8, if we haven't, I'll just read it in the ESV, which is the English standard. It says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. When we turn away from that fork in the road and we say, actually, God's down that road, but I'd rather pursue this, we miss out we forsake god's love we said rather have this than god's love and the the amazing thing about god's love is it's steadfast remember that we heard that this morning god's love is steadfast it is with you in every circumstance when you lose things when things are lost to us that are dear to us god's love is there Conversely, to devote our things other than Him is to miss out on all that He has to us. To not have that anchor, that harbor, that refuge in the heartaches of life. To not have that constant hope, that security. God devotes Himself to us, He is devoted to us like a good father. He cares deeply. In Psalm 23, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. And he says, Your rod and your staff comfort me. He's always referring to the discipline of God. When God's saying, No, you can't have that. I know that looks attractive, but that's not good for you. God is ultimately devoted to us, always has been, always will be. And with that in mind, it's an easy decision to devote oneself to him. He's trustworthy. He is trustworthy. I just want to end by praying, and uh, if the band could come up. Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, that you are ultimately completely trustworthy, that we can uh, rest uh, in knowing that you do sincerely have the best for us. If you deny us something, it is honestly for our good. Or if you push us towards something or encourage us to something, it is to do us good. Father, you are all about doing good for us. You care about us. As a father loves his children, as I love my three sons and I care about what's good for them and I try and keep them away from what is bad for them, God, you are are so devoted to me. Well, we thank you for that. I pray you would help us to receive you as Lord of our lives. Help us to devote ourselves. Help us, would you point the finger on things that are, that are unacceptable to you? God, create in us a clean heart that desires what is good for us. Father, we ask that in your name, Jesus, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.